1: Hey guys, it's Morgan. Welcome back to the show. If you haven't yet, please hit the subscribe button so that you can get notified of every new episode. I release three episodes breaking down what the heck is going on in the country every week. And if you want to stay more up to date, if you want to be more involved, if you just want to be more aware, this is a good solution for you, especially if you're not a fan of like watching the hyper politicized and divisive news, right? So I try and give you a a pretty fair breakdown of what's going on. But of course, I can't hide my conservative perspective. um, And I'm not trying to. Now, there's a few things that I want to talk about today, different themes, I guess you could say. And that's just because I've been in Israel for the last couple weeks and haven't been able to talk to you guys about a few of them. And there's just a lot going on. So with that being said, let's get right into the topics. (music) I also want to warn you guys, I am recording this right now with my dog sitting on my lap. And I don't know if she's going to make any weird noises, but we're just going to try and go all the way through this recording with nothing crazy happening that we have to redo. Um, but it is kind of cute to see her, so I'm not going to move her. Okay, before we go into the first topic, though, which is going to be the Great Reset, I want to remind you guys to go to my Instagram page. It's morgan.zeggers. And you'll see two recent videos that I've posted of me um, showing how I use my Vara Safety Reach 2S. It's different from a standard gun safe because it's a hybrid between a safe and and a holster. So it looks like a sleek metal holster, but it actually keeps my gun locked and secure because of a biometric sensor that lines up naturally with my thumb when I go to pull the gun from the device. And so I have it screwed into a sturdy piece of furniture, and it really does help keep things safe and secure, but also immediately accessible if I need to use it. So it's a game changer for me. I grab my gun, and I know it will immediately unlock And I am already set up with a proper grip. This is a great solution for families, for people with little kitties in the home. And that's kitty, K-I-D-D-I-E-S. And a lot of people were like, what are the kitties, cats playing with guns? No, I mean the kids. Uh, It's by far the fastest way to get my gun. And it checks all of those boxes for security and reliability that I know a lot of people are concerned about. So go to varasafety.com, V-A-R-A-Safety.com, and you'll be able to get it. You guys, they are always out of stock because it's a hot commodity, but they are now back in stock. So just consider how important it is to buy it now that you want it instead of waiting and thinking that it's going to be available in the near future. Okay, I know a lot of people have told me that they've been waiting for it to come back in stock. It's back in stock. Go to varasafety.com. It's the Reach 2S. Okay. So the first thing I want to talk to you guys about today is the Great Reset. I want to freshen up your minds on some stuff that's going on. We have the World Economic Forum, right? The World Economic Forum, that's where all those viral videos are coming from, when all the world leaders and all the business leaders and these freaky guys with scary, evil, movie villain accents they're all talking and they're saying some crazy stuff and I if you look up my name, if you look up um, previous episodes on the show i have have I have actual full episodes of just reacting to the crazy things that are said of how they want to control us they want to control decision making they want to control uh, thought and consciousness and the the concept of being able to make your own choice. they want to kind of program you and use an algorithm that basically guesses or guides you into making certain choices. And when you hear these people with these scary accents over in Europe talking like this, it's kind of like, what the heck is going on? So if you want to learn fully more about those situations and about the recent events and the connection especially to the World Health Organization, because you have the World Economic Forum, but also the World Health Organization, then check out my previous episodes on that. But there's also something that I wanted to bring to your attention because I got asked to be a part of Jack Posobiec's new piece of work with Turning Point USA, and it's called Defeating the Great Reset. If you go to reset.tpusa.com, you'll be able to click the links to where you can watch the available videos. I think just the first episode is out right now, but I'm telling you this because I just thought it was a cool thing and I was excited to see it. And then they asked me in the later stages of production to actually join in. And so the first episode, you'll see Jack Posobiec kind of breaking everything down, talking about the World Health Organization, talking about World Economic Forum, doing a really brief overview. It's about a half an hour of the entire situation. And even Tanya, his wife, is in the clips and stuff too, the B-roll of them walking. But there is a an energized young woman in it, and her name's Morgan. I got to go in it too. And so it's just me and Jack, and um, I'm really excited to see the later episodes and see what else comes out. But yeah, I am just really thankful that they included me in this. I filmed it in Israel. How funny is that? And so me and one of the Turning Point videographers who was over there, he had only one camera from Turning Point. It was so funny. And first we tried filming my pieces in front of the Sea of Galilee, but the sun was setting. And we're kind of on a timeline, right? A a rushed timeline. And so the sun is setting on the Sea of Galilee. And first of all, we thought it'd be really cool to get to have the Sea of Galilee behind me because it's so biblically important. And we're going up against these satanic, evil, globalist leaders. And my talking points were just so strong. So to have it with the Sea of Galilee behind me would have been really cool. But the sun is setting as we're filming and it was unusable. So the next day, we actually traveled from Sea of Galilee to Jerusalem, tried to film it in the Jerusalem Hotel, but there were, again, more random issues with filming. So we did it for a third time. So three days in a row, I got my filming makeup and hair and and outfit on, and we filmed in these really difficult locations because it was really important for me and for the videographer guy, Drew is his name, for us to get this piece to the production team and get it included. And we're just really thankful that it ended up making it in. So if you guys want to see that, it's at reset.tpusa.com. And because this has been on my mind now, because they kind of gave me a bunch of topics that they wanted me to talk about. And I did some scripted stuff, but then they also were like, just talk for literally five minutes about one specific random thing and go off whatever's in your heart, whatever's on your mind. So, um, one of the topics was the connection between the World Health Organization and the World Economic Forum. And this is a good reminder for you guys that as we're seeing situations like this week, Joe Biden saying that the pandemic is over. It's a good reminder that this only went on so long, and a lot of this only happened because we had Communist China lying about the facts regarding the actual virus itself. And then you had American media and propaganda and politicians that backed up the World Health Organization, that backed up Communist China, and helped spread propaganda that was false, but also hide what was true. One of the reasons why this is so concerning is because you look at the rise of communist China and its connections to these globalist organizations. The most important one, and I've even I talked about this on Sean Ryan's show. There's an episode of that. I think it's only on Rumble. I do not think it is on YouTube for obvious reasons. It would be taken down immediately. But if you look at how the leader of the World Health Organization specifically was put in power, it makes a lot of sense for why the World Health Organization let China lie and helped China lie about the complete mishandling. And it wasn't like a oops, oopsie accident mishandling at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. It was a straight-up calculated mishandling and then a cover-up campaign. And you wonder, how could this be allowed? How could they get away with this? It makes a lot of sense when you find out the fact that communist China paid developing countries that were members of the World Health Organization for their votes and then paid them specifically to vote for a guy named Tedros, who was a member of the Communist Ethiopian Party. He's from Ethiopia, member of the Communist Party. I believe it's the Marxist-Leninist Party of Ethiopia. They were paid in terms of development dollars from Communist China to cast their vote for Tedros. So now Tedros, a self-identified communist from Ethiopia, does the dirty work of Communist China as the leader of the World Health Organization. So what my role in the documentary is to make that connection between how Communist China paid for the leader of the World Health Organization to get his position and then the World Health Organization scared the world and basically forced the world into certain shutdowns created by a fear that they themselves instilled and allowed to take place and furthered and then the World Economic Forum and the leader, Klaus Schwab, wrote an entire book on, oh, you know what, we're actually going to benefit from these lockdowns because it helps us achieve our other political climate goals, et cetera, that we were hoping to achieve but just couldn't find a way to do. And so one of those smaller examples beyond the health situation was the fact that they they wanted to reduce the carbon footprint. They wanted to reduce the impact on climate, and then they praised the fact that during the pandemic, because they literally shut everything down, what do you know? Carbon emissions reduced. The footprint that humans have on the world reduced during COVID-19. Yes, it's because you shut the world down. You shut down basically the global economy. You absolute sickos. So if you guys want to go watch that, you can go to com. And again, I'm just really glad to be included in it. All right. Before moving into the next thing, you guys, MyPillow is having their biggest sheet sale of the year. So if you use code Morgan, you could get a big discount. Okay. The Percale and Giza Dream bed sheet sets are available in a variety of colors and sizes, and they are all on sale for as low as $29.98 with code Morgan. All right. You have all helped build MyPillow into the amazing company that it is today. And now Mike Lindell, the inventor and CEO, wants to give back exclusively to his listeners. Order now because when they're gone, they're gone. The Percale and Giza Dream Sheets are breathable. They have cool, crisp feel, and they come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Do not miss out on this incredible offer. There is a limited supply, so be sure to order now using code MORGAN. Call 1-800-738-8374. And you can also use MyPillow.com. Click the radio listener square. And once again, use promo code MORGAN for the bigo discount. So the next thing I want to talk to you guys about is culture, some cultural things, because my trip to Israel included uh, so many lessons. Religiously, it was really cool to see the faith spots. It was cool to see the historic spots. It was interesting to hear about the politics. But there was also a bunch of cultural stuff that I found to be um, quite interesting. And I like to look at culture specifically from a young woman's perspective on how much BS we're sold. I mean, we're sold a box of rocks. And then by the time we find out, wait, we've been set on a very sad path. What society tells us will make us so happy actually doesn't really do that. It's, it's really hard by the time we find out what we've been sold to just reverse course. It's not a flip of the switch kind of situation. And I feel really sad, especially for the women that they have all this student debt. They've gone to school for years to build this boss babe career. And then they've They had their entire ambitious career set out before them, and they planned on achieving all of those things, and then they start to get into their late 20s and 30s, and they're like, wait, what am I going to do, though? (laughs) Because now they have all this student debt. Now they've dedicated so many years to all this, and they're realizing that maybe they invested into the wrong things. They put all of their, their water into the wrong buckets, and they have some regrets, so whether it's this idea that we need to chase the boss babe dream or even just go get a formal education after high school and start to go down that path like any man would and, and treating us as if we're the exact same in terms of what we want out of life, those things are wrong. But there's also a lot of, of health lies that women and young men are sold. There's a lot of lies about value and one of those things is about modesty. And so, I posted today on Instagram a video of me hanging all of my dresses that I have. I have a bunch of long dresses and I packed them all for Israel and then I bought a bunch in Israel too. And I'm hanging them on the line and I I posted a nice little message about modesty. And when I was in Israel, I you notice so many different cultural things. One of them is an an emphasis on pride in your nation, not a bad evil sinful pride, but just being proud of your homeland, being proud of your heritage, proud of your history. And they all have that there, especially considering they all have to join the military and serve for a certain amount of time, men three years, women two years. Because of that and because of the fact that they could get attacked at any moment, they have a very strong tie to protecting their homeland, to being proud of it, to being knowledgeable of their history and their people. And the importance of defending those values, the fragility of it, and on top of that, adding the more personal layer of it is like if you get invaded and you're in the military, because they all join the military for that certain amount of time, you know that if you're invaded, your family members are literally just miles behind you, and so they will be attacked next if if the enemy gets through your line, right? That leads to, to many great values, I would say, in the citizenry. But then there's also these like offshoots of, of different impacts that it has. And one of them, what my group was evaluating, is just this very, very clear distinction in terms of the health between Americans when you're just walking down a road in America and then the health of Israelis. Everybody there is in shape. Everybody is frickin' beautiful just beautiful. And, you know, people said there's multiple reasons for that. It's like when you're in your natural, healthy form, everybody's beautiful. Like your face is not supposed to look like the Instagram filler faces that you see with celebrities. Human faces are supposed to look different based on the region that you're from, based on your family lineage. And that's totally fine. Everybody, though, has this natural beauty when they're in their normal, healthy naturally fit form. And and that can lead to people, everybody around you seeming just absolutely beautiful. It's because they were natural and they were beautiful and it was really cool to see. But it is so obvious when you are just walking around, everybody is in great shape. And I personally think it's probably one of the big reasons is because in very important formative years of their lives, these guys are joining the military and have to be from that that age and on, they have to be in the mindset of at any moment I can be called to defend my country. And you're developing healthy habits from that important formative phase of your life. And I think that sets them on a path for future healthiness, I guess you could say. So that was really cool to see. But another important thing it, that really stands out to you is just this respect for modesty. Now, I posted on Instagram that when I talk about modesty, when I wear the dresses that I wear, because I like to wear like the long flower prairie girl dresses. I said a few things about it of this is not me trying to be hyper religious or hyper political or really anything along those lines. This is more so a general talk that I think we as a society have to start having about what the heck happened to the lost art of dressing to be respectable with your presence. This goes beyond religion or politics or the kind of culture, like if you're a trad girl or whatever. It's like, I I don't think everybody has to dress like me, like a prairie girl. But I think there's something to be said about the fact that in most societies, in most of human history, in most respectful traditions of culture and, and of communities, it's considered respectful to dress in an appropriate way. And it really makes me sad as a society to see the kind of clothes that are normal for us to tell young women and young men to wear when they're going out in public. Now, there's multiple levels to this. Like fashion these days are just weird, right? I mean, if you look at like the 2000s, early 2000s, oh my gosh. <laughs> but what I'm talking about specifically is not just like the ugly fashion, right? That's its own topic. But when we look at, for example, what I believe is sexualized outfits that we're selling to not just middle schoolers, but even younger, middle schoolers, high schoolers, it's just a level of inappropriate that it's like, w- wait, when did this even become acceptable? It's like <laughs> people basically walk around in underwear all the time. I think for now, just like many other things, we just think, oh, it's normal these days. It's, it's just society. It's, it's modern America. It's normal. Everybody does it now. But it's like, but why is it normal? But why do we have to accept it? Why have we just been complacent with this? And, and why do we just say, well, this is the way it's been? It's kind of like with public school, education, it's like the food that we eat. We're just like, well, that's just how things are. And it makes me wonder, how can we change it? Now, that that brings it back to the the classic answer that I always have these days of, I think this is going to be generational and it only changes really with how we parent the next generation. But I guess I'm I'm saying all of this because in Israel, when I was walking through all the shops, especially in Jerusalem, first of all, not even the shops, but when you're walking around the communities, everybody's dressed not in some hyper-religious, modest fashion of like, oh, I can't see an ankle. It's like, yeah, when the Muslims who controlled the Temple Mount rules make you cover your ankles, that's a different level of strange, right? But that's not what I'm talking about. I mean when you're walking the streets of Jerusalem and it's a modern place in many of the areas it's not like it's all the old city of Jerusalem where Jesus walked the women are dressed so beautifully and fashionably because i think when you when you stop considering what modern america considers fashion and you go back to the roots especially in like like think of like the 50s and 60s like all the 40s 50s 60s The women there were just so beautiful because they were accentuating the fabric and the clothing to fit their most feminine form. And I don't mean that in a sexual way. I mean that in just a a beauty way where they looked fantastic. Like, first of all, they're naturally fit and beautiful and they're not covered in makeup. But second, they had these beautiful but simple dresses and skirts and blouses and these, these nice little heeled shoes. And everybody looked just pleasantly beautiful, and I really, really miss that. I, I've noticed something of like the radical left. They have neon hair. They have black makeup all over their eyes and their face. Their face, skin color face, they put this like white, pale, pasty stuff uh, to like literally change the, the color of their face, which I find so strange. And they, they cover themselves in these clothes. Now, when you think of primally what animals like to do when they're healthy and when they're normal animals, you want to make yourself look more attractive to a mate, to society. And then you you earn a mate, and then you procreate. And that's kind of like the literal, most primal, basic role in life. But humans, for some reason, we have the rise of this radical, woke faction where they want to make themselves as ugly as possible. And I find that kind of sad and kind of weird. But I will say, Compared to everything that we see in America, if I could describe the fashion and the looks and the, the physical perspective that I was taking when looking at the society as a whole, I would describe it as this normal and naturally beautiful because the men, it was crazy how in shape and attractive all of the men were. And I'm not saying that of like, oh, they were super hot. I literally just mean that like in their manly, masculine, normal form, they were attractive in terms of I respected it. And then same thing with the women. They were attractive and beautiful and feminine. And seeing that normalness is like, wow. <laughs> so that was interesting. But not even just from the uh, walking the streets kind of thing. Now put yourself, I'm walking through the, the city streets where the shops are. The shops what they were selling, you guys, was just absolutely the, the prettiest dresses, the nicest long skirts, these blouses. And again, it wasn't this weird, modest, culty kind of must-cover-elbows thing, but it just was fashionable beauty, fashionable clothing. So I thought that was really cool. Of course I had to go buy a bunch of things because in America it's hard enough for me to find any long dresses, let alone be able to walk from store to store and buy a long dress in each one or just get to try a bunch on. So it was really, really cool. And I'm not a big shopper, but I went shopping. Um, so that brings me to—I hear see a lot of stuff. A lot of times people would be like, well, modesty isn't just dressing like you're on Little House of the Prairie. And I'm kind of like, are they talking about me? Because— <laughs> Because I don't know many other women that dress like they're on Little House of the Prairie except for me. But that's kind of the point that I I like to make is that you don't have to dress like you're on Little House of the Prairie. I personally like the countryside prairie girl vibe because that's my vibe. So I like to wear long, flowy, outdoorsy kind of dresses that work good with little cowboy boots underneath like Ballerina Farm. Or you could put like heels on it and go to church. That's my style but that's not being modest that that's a form of it but everybody can have their own style and everybody can be unique and different you don't have to dress a certain way just to dress in a way that shows that you have self-respect and respect for others and respect for the event and the thing that I'll say about modesty that I just wish everybody understood in terms of it being a lost art is the fact that it's not about conforming to any religious or political expectations of you or hiding your body because you're, you're going to be seen in an inappropriate way by young men. You know, it's like feminists will freak out about code at school of like, oh, I can't wear a tank top at school. It's because men can't see my shoulders. A lot of that's been twisted these days. But let's get back to why it matters to dress respectfully when you're presenting yourself. It's about having respect for yourself. It's about having respect for the people that you're going to be around when you go out. And it's also about respecting the area that you're going to, the location that you're going to, or the significance of the event that you are attending. You're showing respect with your appearance and you're presenting yourself in a respectable fashion. That's really what it all boils down to. And I wish that we could get back to that. And I'm not saying that as an attack on anybody. I just mean it as we have gone so far away from very basic societal values and trends. One of them is respect with our presentation and with dressing. And I'm sad that our generation was the one to really lose that. And I wish we could get back on it going to a foreign country where they still do that and where they still respect themselves and other people and the events and cover themselves up in a respectful way, and still are so fashionable and beautiful. It was a good reminder, and that's why I wanted to bring it up to you guys. Now, speaking of culture, um, (laughs) I wanted to take a moment to let you guys know that I just became aware of a song. Now, if you know what music I listen to, it's basically classic country music and uh, never rap. But this came up on my newsfeed recently that there's a female rapper named TNFW Neek, and she made a new song encouraging black girls to have abortions. That's the headline from MediaTakeout.com. So I wanted to read you guys some of the lyrics, and perhaps you've heard this song before, but it's called BDF, Baby Daddy Free. Here is what it says. F-R-E-E, Baby Daddy Free. That means I ain't got an N-words baby coming out of me. So I'm A-B-O-R-T-I-N-G. On the way to the clinic, I forgot the plan B. Let's go, i I've got murder on my mind. So that is the kind of content, the kind of culture that many young women are seeing and absorbing as they develop into young adults, young women here in our nation. And that makes me very, very sad. The other aspect of it is when we think of young men coming into this world, young boys turning into young men turning into men that will have hopefully wives and daughters one day. Is this how we want men to perceive women and learn that, that this is how women behave and think? We're not doing either of the genders, yep, there's only two, either of the genders any favors by representing young women in this way. It makes me very, very sad. And that goes into, think of any song that's trending on the radio these days, especially on the rap channels. And I really want you to ask yourself, should I be listening to this music? It's got a bop. It's got a tune. It's a little catchy, but when I listen to the lyrics, do I really want this kind of stuff influencing my mind, even if I'm just listening to it in the background or in the car on the way to something and it just comes on the radio? Nowadays, I'm just much more sensitive to the fact that like, I don't even want to listen to this at all. I don't even like country music that talks badly. It's like there was a song and it was um, I think it's called Everything She Ain't. And it's catchy and I like it and it's fun. But it basically talks about how it's like this guy has a girlfriend and she wants to have that girl go and then replace her. And so she's like, get rid of her. I'm going to be the buddy that rides with you in the truck. I'm going to be your Audrey to your Hank. All these things. And at first I was listening to it like, oh, this is so cute. Like, uh, oh, Audrey and Hank Williams. And now I'm like, I can't even get into it because it's like, why do we even sing about that stuff? Another thing is country music, Carrie Underwood, you know, she's like, I got cheated on and I'm going to go smash his tires. (laughs) It's like, um, maybe, maybe that's not a healthy approach either. Another one would be, uh, what's that one? There's a country song I can't remember. And this is not just country. I just mean in all music, we're just teaching people bad behavior and bad ways to process frustrating feelings and I don't think it's healthy but there's another one where it's like I got cheated on and now he has a new girlfriend and I hope she cheats on him (laughs) it's like if you think about it when you just stop and look at it from a societal lens it's like this is kind of not the best thing to to be jamming to all the time Okay, there's two more things I want to talk to you guys about. We've got digital currency and the dangers, and then also what's going on at the border. We've got some updates. So I saw something on Instagram, and, you know, I don't know what the most recent update on this stuff is, but I'm seeing it more and more discussions on it. And I wanted to talk to you guys about the overarching concern that I have, and then hopefully you'll be better equipped in case anything more serious happens with this issue. But, um, I was looking on Instagram and I saw some screenshots of articles. One of them says China reveals digital yuan with an expiration date where people are forced to spend and not allowed to save. Yeah. So government currency that is only available to the people, to you, for a certain period of time. What that does is, uh, with this concern of the rise of globalization and stuff, right, all of these global leaders that they, they want you to eat crickets, they don't want you to eat beef, they don't want you to own anything. If you think of the World Economic Forum's article that said, it, the year is 2030, you own nothing, and you are more happier than ever, right? It's these sickos, they they don't want you to have anything to your name. and. What that means is you have a lot less to fight for, right? These people are anti-family, they're anti-property, personal private property. They're anti-faith, and by that I mean faith in something more powerful than government. That means faith in God. And so that's why every time they come to power, they have to try and attack the family unit, they attack private ownership, and they attack religion. An interesting thing that we see them always do is go right for the finances and economics of a country. Why is that? Why do why do people like Vladimir Lenin and evil socialist communist dictators, why do they say that socialism is the required step to get to communism? It's because socialism, even though it's often confused as just another word for communism or anything evil that the left does, socialism in an actual dictionary definition way is the economic financial step Of communism. Why is that? It's because it's the seizing of the means of production. It's the government taking over an industry, the creating and providing of a service or good. When they become the only provider of a service or good or a thing that you and your family need to get by, things get really dangerous. So that's why I try and stress to people that socialism isn't just bad because it leads to inflation or shortages it has many bad economic consequences but the element of control is often ignored or overlooked or you know we just get so caught up in saying socialism bad that we don't get into the why is it truly horrific though why does it lead to dictatorship because it can't just be that oh well it causes the economy to collapse and and people struggle to eat and all these things It's because once the government takes over financial and economic control of the people, they can really force the people to do anything. They have ultimate control. So that's why you have dictators that that say you can't have communism unless you do the economic and financial step first, which is socialism. So there's many different things that the left likes to take over, right? I mean, even in America today, they're talking about taking over the energy industry, oil and natural gas. It's what they did in Venezuela, and it collapsed the economy there. They seized the means of production of the oil and gas industry in Venezuela, uh, and look at how that happened. Within two years, it's a complete socialist dictatorship with people losing an average of, I think, 20-something pounds per year due to starvation. So on top of that, it's also politically a dictatorship, even though they democratically elected those socialist leaders into power just two or so decades ago. So we see that with energy. You also see that with the government controlling healthcare where they're saying, "Oh, you're a political enemy? Nice. Your mom is not getting treatment <laughs> at our at our hospital. Good luck with that." You also see it just with food, with with your groceries, with automobiles, with employment because the government is the only employer. But something that we haven't really heard about much and this is now really only possible because we're in the modern digital age is this idea of digital currency, but not Bitcoin <laughs> like everybody's talking about. But I mean straight up like digital dollars that are only, uh, that are like handed out by the government or whatever and only available for a certain amount or for certain items. I mean, that truly is the ultimate control, right? Imagine if they prevent you from doing something like owning a house. It's very frustrating, right? Like you can't build anything or save anything to your name. You can't. Work to keep that in your family line you can't you're not working for really anything other than just survival because you can't put your money to anything on your property at least and now take that to everything. Imagine if you could never save money that it just expires from being usable after a certain period of time because the government sets it for that imagine so so this is a really creepy thing and then I did a little more digging and I found from disclosed TV and they said just in the White House says digital assets pose meaningful risks while a U.S. central bank digital currency, CBDC, has the potential to offer significant benefits. So they're against things like Bitcoin, right? But when you talk about it in terms of the U.S. central bank having their own digital currency, that's something that they're more interested in. That's really, really dangerous. So it really caught my eye, and I want you guys to be aware of the fact that things aren't just an evaluation of, Oh, is it a good economic policy or a bad economic policy? Socialism is a bad economic policy. But <laughs> what are the other concerns? This is about how much control does a certain group have and what happens if they take certain things away? For some reason, we have a really hard time imagining that, that people will do bad things, but that's pretty much all of human history. So it's time for us, when we see proposals, to not—it's kind of like the Patriot Act. People were like, oh, they would never use that against American citizens. (laughs) And now I'll get it, okay? It's time for us when things get proposed to say, "Mm, we're not interested in this and we're going to fight against this because we have a feeling that the U.S. government would use it against us. All right, and the last thing I want to talk to you guys today about is the border crisis. We have some updates. Um, Most recently, we're finding out, first of all, Joe Biden was asked about it. We keep seeing these viral clips go out the last couple of weeks of Kareen, who's the press secretary, and Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. They're all asked about the border, and they all deny that something serious is happening. The new number is that the ratio between new American babies being born and illegal immigrants coming in is that there are three illegal immigrants for every four new american babies born that's interesting <laughs> that's really weird that's really weirdly weird and i don't think any country can last with something like that it's it's just physically not it's not sustainable if you guys haven't yet i want you to read the age of entitlement because it explains so well how you know they pitch it as if america's been this big melting pot that's always accepted just hordes of of people all the time, just allowing millions of people into this country constantly and that this is really no different. But if you look at the numbers, this is a fairly new problem that our very young, new country is dealing with. And it puts into perspective how serious and unprecedented this level of new immigration, illegal immigration, is. So to see the ratio that it's now every four American babies that are born, three illegal immigrants are coming in. That's just crazy. The next update that we have for you is this one. Venezuela. There's now a report from the Department of Homeland Security that Venezuela is emptying its prisons and sending violent criminals from the prisons directly to the U.S. border. Yeah. Yes. So as if there wasn't enough of an issue. I'm going to read you this Breitbart article. It's by Randy Clark. Okay, so it starts out by saying that this report reviewed by Breitbart, Texas, indicates that the Venezuelan government, under the leadership of Nicolas Maduro, is purposely freeing inmates, including some convicted of murder, rape and extortion. The intelligence report warns agents that the freed prisoners have been seen within migrant caravans traveling from Mexico towards the U.S.-Mexico border as recent as July. The source, not authorized to speak to the media, told Breitbart, Texas, that the move is reminiscent of a similar action taken by Cuban dictator Fidel Castro during the Mariel boatlift boat lift in the 1980s. So at the time, because the communists had come to power in Cuba, they were killing a ton of the political dissidents. People were starving. It was horrific. It was a communist revolution. So people were trying to move to America, and this was not as serious as the border crisis that's going on now. But more so, it was an issue of Castro wanted to say, F you to anybody that wants to leave Cuba when I'm in power. And so he wanted to build a bad reputation of those people as they were getting to America. So along with the innocent people that were just fleeing for their lives, that were honestly just fleeing communism, he released a ton of actual criminals to Florida, to America, and then said, everybody that comes, you now have to be scared. So it was to try and build fear in the American citizen population that, oh my gosh, the people coming from Cuba are evil criminals and we don't know who to trust and we don't like them at all. Do you see how that's like so ridiculously scary and it was done by a communist dictator to, to purposely build this propaganda around anybody that was going to be coming from Cuba? So that's different than what's happening here where you just have massive, massive amounts of illegal immigrants coming across the border and they're all saying that they're fleeing hardships and stuff, but it's just not the same as fleeing a communist regime that's killing any dissidents and doing it at the hands of especially Che Guevara, who was nicknamed the butcher. So you, what you're having now is, is people maybe that are poor in a Latin American country, and they're like, well, I think I'm going to qualify as a refugee. I'm going to claim refugee status when I get to America. And the border system is so broken that they could just get in and claim that they're seeking asylum. It's just not the same, if you ask me, okay? So the situation with Venezuela, if you ask me, is a a little touchier because it's it's a socialist country and you're seeing the attack of political dissidents, but now we're seeing waves and waves and waves of people from all different countries now, including Venezuela, that are like, you know, this might be my only shot into America. We're going to come illegally. That's a whole other topic. Either way, what we're seeing right now is that the leader, the socialist leader of Venezuela is apparently releasing criminals into America to empty their prisons. So this obviously freaks Americans out. And this story has been widely circulated since it got released a few days ago. So I wanted to let you guys know about it. I think we're reaching a tipping point because this week, not only did we have this Venezuelan story and we're seeing the new numbers with that four to three ratio that I told you about, but we also saw DeSantis, Governor of florida ronda santis ship the 50 migrants to martha's vineyard martha's vineyard and the region of massachusetts right they declared themselves to be a sanctuary area for illegal immigrants so the the government cannot attack or or prosecute anybody that is an illegal immigrant that goes to a sanctuary area so that's been controversial and they were proud to declare themselves this but guess what As soon as Ron DeSantis said, well, Florida can't do it anymore, we're going to send them, and they voluntarily went, we're going to send them to Martha's Vineyard, what do you know? They weren't even there for two days. The citizens of Martha's Vineyard had them kicked out by the military and taken to a camp nearby. People say, oh, that was a political stunt and he was using humans. I'm sorry, but you came to the country illegally. They also volunteered to come. I think they're probably just happy to be in America. Okay, they just made a crazy trek. They're probably just happy to be in America. And they were like, yeah, we will go to Martha's Vineyard Sure. I don't really care about that. That concern. I think it's a fake concern when the liberals are like, you're playing games with humans. Want to know what playing games with humans is? What the left is doing by encouraging millions of illegal immigrants to make a dangerous trek across the the South through the American-Mexican border where they could potentially die or get raped or get attacked, and they are always going to get abused by the cartels, one way or another. It's not funny, and it's all for politics, but it's all perpetrated by the left. So I don't want to hear anybody complaining about this this 50-person group that was sent to Martha's Vineyard. I think it needed to happen, and I saw one video that I'll end on with you guys of a resident from Martha's Vineyard who said, I think this absolutely needed to happen. This isn't the stunt. The stunt is what's being pulled by the left for allowing this to happen for two years and then continue to blame President Trump. It's been two years, okay? You didn't inherit a bad border situation. You made it, and now you're blaming it on the guy who was out of office two years ago. That's the stunt. And things like this that bring it to national conversation, the way Ron DeSantis' actions did, that is continually needed until action is brought. Now, last thing is that technically, according to the Supreme Court, previous decisions, states are not allowed to make their own immigration policy. But the question comes to our heads now. What do we do when the federal government, even though the Supreme Court says states can't do this, it's the job of the federal government, what do we do if the federal government is committing dereliction of duty and not doing their responsibility, their job at the border? Can the state step in then constitutionally? I say yes. (laughs) Now, I'm Morgan Zegers and I'm not the Supreme Court, but I say yes. And Connor Clegg says yes too. my host of Freedom Papers with me. We say yes, because what else is supposed to happen at this point? I believe states should step up. And in many other issues where we're seeing the federal government be too powerful, dangerous, and tyrannical, we need to see state power check federal power. That's what our founders intended, baby. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you subscribe. Please subscribe. Please, please, please. And if you haven't yet, go to varasafety.com. Get your Reach 2S so that you can be matching with me. Get your MyPillow stuff. Buy the MyPillow slippers. Use code MORGAN. And you can also wear the same slippers as me. Aw. Okay. I hope you guys have a good rest of the week. Bye-bye.